today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. I believe that Lot had found himself in a place that he was sorry he was in, but he had no power to be able to get out on his own. And so God removed him from that place, and God brought great judgment on the wickedness of that city. Peter uses these accounts, both for Noah and his family as well as Lot, to again confirm the reality not only of God's judgment, but the fact that God is able to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under judgment for the day of judgment. When God first judged the world with water, Noah, a godly man, found favor in the eyes of God and was delivered from the storm. Later on, Lot, a man vexed by the evils he observed around him, was spared from the judgment of the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that the Lord is fully able to deliver his people from judgment. Jesus protects the sheep in his flock and spares his people the wrath of God that will soon be poured out onto a rebellious world. Now here's Pastor David with part two of his message, Coming Judgment, from the book of 2 Peter, chapter 2. believe that Peter believed what the Word of God declared about that. And apparently for him, it stood out as a significant reality of God's judgment against the wickedness and against the perversity of those who would continue to live away and against God's direction and God's purposes. And yet at the same time, in the midst of that worldwide destruction, God had an ability to be able to preserve the righteous in the midst of that overall judgment. And so Noah and Mrs. Noah and Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, and Mrs. Shem, and Mrs. Ham, and Mrs. Japheth, all of them got into the ark. In Genesis 6 and 7, we find that God had determined to destroy from the face of the earth all living things that he had made. And there would be absolutely no exceptions outside of Noah and his family. And on that appointed day, God called Noah and his family into the ark, and the Lord shut him in. And on that day, the word says that all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were open. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both men and cattle, creeping things and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. 
Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. The entire world was destroyed by this catastrophic flood as God preserved Noah and his family. And the reason that God did that was because of the greatness of the wickedness of man that just continued to increase and continued to increase. And God says, enough is enough is enough. And God told Noah, go and build this ark. And in that ark, I'll preserve a new beginning, a new beginning. Our encouragement should be the guarantee that God's judgment is real. And God is never going to be thwarted by the efforts or by the power or by any kind of overwhelming wickedness that man can do. God will not be held captive to any of that. And when he says that time is up, then time is up. When he says enough is enough, then enough is enough. And even the wicked will have no choice of being able to live for tomorrow or not. That's God's decision in their lives. Now, in this third, this final proof of God's power over the wicked, his assurance of of judgment against the unrighteous, Peter now draws from the destruction of those ancient cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And back in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, we read again how God had turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. He condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for that righteous man do you realize peter calls lot righteous isn't that peculiar we'll look at that in a moment for that righteous man lot dwelling among them he was tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds so now for the third time for the pages of genesis Peter comes and he speaks once again of another incident where God's wrath is being poured out on the world. First of all, he pours it out in the spiritual realm in, again, these fallen angels. Secondly, he comes in a worldwide judgment uh, against all of creation with the flood of Noah. And now this third time, it's more of a local, it's a limited judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah, and yet within that limited place and, 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 and uh, geographical location, that destruction was absolutely complete, and it was just as devastating to them as these other destructions were on everyone else. We read in the pages of Genesis 18 and, and chapter 19 of the depravity of the population of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding communities. The clearness of their sin is blatant homosexuality, and it started within these pages of of Genesis, and it goes all throughout the New Testament where God speaks against these things. And I know that it's not politically correct to speak about that, but beloved, that is why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, because of the overwhelmingness of the homosexual lifestyle that just took over those communities. There's no getting around around the fact that the absolute saturation of this lifestyle into that culture was the primary purpose of God's judgment on the people and on that society. And no, this isn't hate speech. It's simply the reality of what's been shown throughout Scripture from beginning to the end. Along with Peter, 
Jude is also very clear as he declares that judgment of God against these cities. Jude writes that as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner as this, having what? Having given themselves over to sexual immorality and they've gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Peter is clear. Jude is clear. The message of the book of Genesis is clear. The message of the entire Bible is clear. God brought judgment on these cities because of their gross immorality. Again, I look at our world today, and I think, my goodness, how bad could Sodom and Gomorrah have been? As, as, as gross and as perverted as our culture continues to be, and not just the culture of the United States. We look all around the world and the perversion, not only of the homosexuality, but again, perverted sexual immorality of any and every type that's around the world. Some people have said, and they said this back years ago, that God's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah if he doesn't bring judgment on the United States soon. And they said that years ago. And so it makes me wonder, how bad was Sodom and Gomorrah? I believe that it was pretty horrific. But beloved, it's also horrific right now in the culture and in the world that we live. And yes, I do believe that God is going to bring judgment on it. Now we could go further into a study on this again, of why Lot found himself in that community. If you remember the story, there had to be a division between Lot and Abraham because, again, their, their, their herds had increased and their, their laborers, their workers were fighting each other. And Lot cast his eye down into the valley where Sodom and Gomorrah were, and it looked to him to be a pleasing place to be. And again, the story is, as he moved towards Sodom, he pitched his tent next to Sodom. Then he moved into Sodom. And then we find when those angels came to destroy the place, he he was literally sitting at the gates of Sodom. And from the Genesis account, we really don't see, we really don't understand about any kind of righteousness that would be there other than the fact that Abraham argued with the Lord about the destruction of Sodom. And he says, if there were so many righteous people, would you destroy it? If there was any, and, and Abraham kept bargaining down, hoping that, again, at least Lot and his family, his nephew, would be preserved and saved through this. So even Abraham understood that in Lot's life, there was some righteousness, but Lot found himself in a place of unrighteousness. He found himself in a place of unrighteousness, not because he was forced to be there, but because he chose to be there. And he continued to choose to go deeper and deeper into that. And yet the word of God says that he was a righteous man. It's not unlike when you and I make decisions in our lives that suddenly we realize, man, the decisions that I've made in my life have brought me further and further away from God. I know God. I, I, I have a relationship with Christ. But right now, I'm so far away from that. And if you're truly born again, your spirit's going to be grieving in the midst of that. Oh, maybe you won't have the strength to be able to come and, and get yourself out of that. As a matter of fact, when we read the story, we read how the angels literally had to come and, 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 and pull Lot out of that place. I believe that Lot had found himself in a place that he was sorry he was in, but he had no power to be able to get out on his own. 
And so God removed him from that place, and God brought great judgment on the wickedness of that city. Peter uses these accounts, both for Noah and his family as well as Lot, to again confirm the reality not only of God's judgment, but the fact that God is able to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under judgment for the day of judgment. You might have a hard time believing some of these accounts, but I want to let you know Jesus didn't. Jesus believed these accounts. The the apostles of the early church, they believed these accounts. Jesus spoke about these very things when he illustrated the reality of his soon return. We read about it in the book of Luke, chapter 17. Jesus speaking about these very things. Jesus says, and it was as in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate and they drank and they married wives and they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Life was going on just as usual in the usual wickedness that had been going on for years and years and generation after generation. Life continued on until it came time that God said enough is enough. And we look at this and we know that it was for 120 years that Noah worked on building that ark. And I can just imagine, and as we've shared, I believe, in the past too, that as Noah is there, he's driving in. Every peg that he drove into that ark was a testimony of God's coming judgment. But the people around him, I can just imagine, hey, what you doing, Noah? Same thing I was doing yesterday. Yeah, what's that, Noah? I'm building an ark. Why are you building the ark, Noah? Same reason I was building it yesterday and the week before and months before. Yeah, well, why, Noah? Because God's going to bring judgment on your wickedness. Noah, you've been saying that for years. You've been saying that for years, Noah. And we continue on, Noah, just the way we've always been. You say God's bringing judgment, Noah? Ha! You're a fool, Noah, until that day. God says, Noah, get the wife and kids, get in the ark. Time is up. Man today continues to mock God just by that whole idea and understanding. I can live my life any way that I want to. God does not see, neither does he care. That's what the wicked declare. But yet God promises that judgment is going to come. Jesus said that likewise also, as in the days of Lot, they ate and they drank and they bought and they sold and they planted and they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Lot the same way. Come on, Lot, how come you don't join with the rest of us? We're having a party over at our house. Come on over, Lot. No, I, I, I don't want to be involved in that. Why are you living here then? Why do you find yourself here in the middle of us if you're not going to get involved in our sin, Lot? 
And all this time, Lot's grieving, but yet he got himself into a situation that he can't get himself out very easily. And all around him, the perversity of that community just continued to get worse and worse and worse. There's one thing we know about wickedness. Wickedness, when left to itself, will continue to get more and more wickeder. Okay? Maybe not good English, but you know it's good theology. Okay? It happens that wickedness doesn't get better. Wickedness goes further and further and further from the reality and the truth and the purity of, and the holiness and the righteousness of God. And the longer that Lot was there, I believe the, just the, the darker things got for Lot. And regardless of what Lot may have said to his neighbors or the testimony of Lot's life, we know that Lot was, was, was just tormented day and night because of the wickedness that surrounded him. And that wickedness in one day changed. Because in one day, God brought those angels in and said, Lot, it's time for you and your family to get out of here. And so Lot and his wife and his daughters left. Sons-in-laws stayed there. Why? Because they were part of that community and they would not leave. And if you know the story, you know that as they left, Lot's wife stopped and she turned around. Some say, well, well, maybe it's just out of curiosity as the, the cities were being destroyed. No, I believe that what had happened in her life, she had become so accustomed to that, that there was a desire in her life to stay as a part of that world, stay even in the midst of that wickedness. Undoubtedly, there was some, there was some benefits. Undoubtedly, there was some, some pleasures within that community that she enjoyed. And so she turned around, and the word says that immediately God's judgment was on her, and she turned to a pillar of salt. Now, we could go on into the life of Lot, and we know that it, there was just some strange stuff that happened with Lot. But in the overall reality of it, God God says that he was a righteous man. I look at that and I say, okay, then there's hope for me, okay? If, if, if Lot, in the situation that he was in, and in the events of his life, even after God saved him out of Sodom and Gomorrah, God would call righteous, then there's hope for us, isn't there? That God can work and move in us, even when we blow it tremendously, even when we find ourselves in a place that we can't laugh our way out of. We're in a place that says, God, you've got to get me out of this mess that I put myself into. God is more than able and willing to do that. Does that mean that we won't have some consequences of those choices? You've got to realize that when Lot left, he left everything. Everything was gone. Everything was gone. There were consequences to the choices of his life. But God was bringing judgment on wickedness, and God promises that he will bring judgment on wickedness. And so for so long, believers lived their life, and just as, as uh, Asaph says in, in uh, Psalm 72, I looked and the wicked seemed to, uh, to prosper. It seemed like everything was going well for them. And he says, I, would, I was almost to the point of, of a denial of, of really who God was until I came into the house of God, until I entered back into worship, entered back into relationship. If you, this morning, if, if you feel that you've lived your life, uh, you, you've tried to do the right thing, you've tried to make the right choices, but it just seems like there's, there's nothing that's going your way. It just seems like it doesn't really matter what you're doing or how you're doing. It just, it, it, nothing is going good for you right now. Understand that the only way that you're going to know the good pleasure of the Lord is when you allow yourself to be a man or a woman of worship. 
that you're not looking at the consequences and the surroundings of your circumstances, but you are looking at the reality and the truth and the hope that's found, found only in the sustainability, the reliability, and the eternality of who God is. And when we get our focus on that correctly, then we understand that, no, God's word is true and every man's going to be a liar. And God's judgment is going to come. Jesus said that on that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. And Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Don't go back. Jesus had absolutely no problem recognizing the truth of those Old Testament events. Peter uses those very same events to encourage us in reference to that coming judgment. He also points out that in the midst of God's judgment, God is able to preserve those who are his. And as God destroyed the whole earth, he protected and he delivered Noah and his family by providing a means for them to ride over and to ride through God's wrath being poured out on the earth. And for Lot, God literally snatched Lot up out of those cities in order that God's wrath might be poured out on them. Beloved, I believe that's what's going to happen to the church, and I believe that it could happen at any moment, at any time, that God is literally going to snatch us up out of this place. It's called the rapture, and it speaks of the fact that God has not appointed us to wrath, but that God's wrath is going to be poured out on the earth. And if we as believers are not appointed to wrath, I believe that God is more than able to snatch us up, to snatch us away, to take us away as God pours out that judgment and that wrath upon a lost and a dying and a wicked world. All of these things, you've got to understand Jesus is coming again. And we have to, again, live our lives with that assurance and that understanding. Though the wicked may seem like they prevail for a moment, theirs is but for a moment. Beloved, we're living for eternity. Jesus is coming. His reward is with him as well as his judgment that's coming with him. And we can take comfort in the fact of what Peter tells us right here. And he says that the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So my question to you this morning, are you ready for his appearance? We want justice. When in reality, we need mercy, don't we? When, when, when an event comes against us, we, we cry out for justice. But when it's looking at us, we want to make sure that we have mercy. God's going to bring justice. God's going to bring judgment. And it's only those who have faith and a life that's been committed to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that will know not the judgment of God, but they'll know the mercy of God. James tells us in James 2.13, he says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen? When we stand before that great judge in that great and final day, wouldn't it be best to know that he's your father that's sitting there? And he's not a judge destined for your destruction, but he's your father who's provided a way, provided a means, who has paid the price for your sin and for mine. And if you're here this morning, you don't know that your sin is forgiven through Jesus Christ. You've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you this morning here in this place. 
to take that opportunity to bow your knee before God now before it is too late. The word says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Some are going to do it because they know him as their Lord. Some are going to do it because they've missed out that reality and now they are going to be under the bondage and under the punishment for all eternity. The choice is yours even today. The life we're called to live as followers of Christ is not a simple one, and the Apostle Peter makes it clear through his second letter that it's a path that's easy to miss. So how do we stay connected to our Savior and walk out the steps He has planned? One way is to immerse ourselves in a community of faith. When we spend time with other believers, we can remind each other of the truth of God's great power, just like Peter reminded the early church. Are you a part of a local body of believers? If not, Pastor David has a personal invitation for you. Well, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith. It's given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, you're looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. Is there some way we could be praying for you as you journey along your path with Jesus? Let us know by calling 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We love to be able to speak with our listeners, lift them up in prayer, and answer the questions they have. We're so glad you tuned in to Pastor David's study in 2 Peter today. Join us next time to continue the series right here on The Open Word.